0: Our second reading this morning is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10. I will read verse 30 through verse 48. It's in your, in your bulletins if you would like to look at that. Hear the word of God. And Cornelius said... Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, you brought us uh, here this morning... uh, We believe that this is a divine appointment, that you intended us to be in this room with each other, singing these songs and hearing these scriptures read. Lord, I pray that you be with us now by the power of your Holy Spirit as we proclaim your word. I pray that your word would fly straight and true and that it would find its mark. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in the first chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, we have an account of Jesus' ascension into heaven. He has a few final words for his followers before he leaves planet Earth. Jesus says to them, You will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit does come. There are seven Sundays from Easter to Pentecost, which is the birthday of the church, and on Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit falls on the followers of Jesus, and they begin speaking in tongues, and Peter begins preaching in the streets of Jerusalem. That would have been somewhere, you know, between A.D. 30 and A.D. 33. We're not exactly sure of the date of the crucifixion. Our reading this morning from Acts chapter 10 is from the year A.D. 39, somewhere between six and nine years after the resurrection of Jesus. A lot has happened in that time. Peter started preaching. Stephen was martyred. Saul was converted but was not yet A famous missionary. The church had grown and was being well rooted in Jerusalem. The apostles were all there. The office of deacon was uh, established. Many Pharisees and priests had become followers of Jesus. And the church is almost entirely Jewish, which is natural. Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea. That's the center of the Jewish population, and in Samaria, which once was part of the kingdom ruled by David, but later was inhabited by people who were sort of, I don't know, half-Jewish Jews who had intermarried with outsiders and got their religion a little mixed up. Beyond Judea and Samaria, Jesus says his followers will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. In other words... Christians are going to bring the message of Jesus to people in every country. And six to nine years after the resurrection, God makes a divine appointment between Cornelius, a Roman military officer, and Peter, one of the original 12 disciples. These are two men who have never met each other, these are two men who have no mutual friends. Cornelius has a vision. Peter has a vision, and the two visions bring them together. Cornelius has a vision. An angel tells him to summon Peter, tells him exactly where the apostle is staying. And at the same time, Peter has a vision. He sees a sheet descending from heaven filled with every conceivable kind of animal, including reptiles and birds of prey. And the voice says to him, rise, kill, and eat Peter was hungry by the way he has this vision apparently he took a nap before dinner they were making dinner and he takes a nap and he has this vision and in the vision he says by no means lord i have never eaten anything unclean or not kosher in the sheet were all kinds of animals Many of those animals banned by kosher laws. And God says to Peter, what God has made clean, do not call unclean. But once is not enough, the same vision happens again. And then it happens a third time. Three times, God declares that every kind of animal is clean and may be eaten. It is because of this vision, of course, that the church no longer keeps the kosher laws. And because the church no longer keeps the kosher laws, the church is made up of all kinds of people because the food we eat is not a barrier to our fellowship. A person who keeps kosher will not sit down and eat with someone who does not keep kosher. Dietary righteousness, all of those rules about what you can eat and what you can't eat. Dietary righteousness is an impediment to hospitality and to fellowship. Which is why the church had to get rid of that before it was ready to go global. Now food might seem like a minor issue to us. We're accustomed to door-dashing any kind of food that we want. But this threefold vision declaring that all food is okay was for Christians a necessary step to having the gospel go global. And just as Peter is waking up from his strange vision, three soldiers sent by Cornelius show up at his house where he is staying. A divine appointment with God working both ends of the arrangement. And all for one reason. So that the news about Jesus can begin to reach beyond Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and can begin to find its way to the ends of the earth. Now this morning I am preaching on Acts chapter 10 because that's what the lectionary tells us to read on Easter morning this year, which surprised me at first. Why not a resurrection story? Why not the women gathering in the garden to discover that Jesus is no longer dead and in the tomb? Why not the scene of Jesus revealing himself to the disciples on the road to Emmaus? Why did the secret cabal of lectionary gnomes decide that Acts chapter 10 should be read and preached on Easter morning? I think the answer is that this passage... Acts chapter 10 presents a scene of Peter six or nine years after the resurrection preaching to a group of Gentiles who are hearing the gospel for the first time and that this passage shows how foundational and central to the gospel is the literal and bodily resurrection of Jesus. Peter was summoned by God to talk with Cornelius and his household about Jesus, about what C.S. Lewis would call mere Christianity. Peter's job is to present the basics of Christianity to someone who's not yet a Christian. I think it would be very interesting for each of us to think about what we would include in an introductory lecture designed to tell a non-Christian about all this Jesus stuff. I mean, where do you begin? The cross and the resurrection are central to Peter's lesson in the basics of the gospel. In verse 36 through 43, we have a thumbnail presentation of the key historical and theological facts which are the basis of our Christian faith. And on this resurrection morning, I want us to listen to the Apostle Peter again as he reviews for us the basics of our faith. It might be helpful for you to have your bulletin open. You can have the text there in front of you as I work through it little by little. I even printed it in a larger font so, you know, you old people can see it. Verse 36. I like the big, the big bulletin, by the way. Did, so, did any of you get these? It's, these are very helpful. I, I like them big. In verse 36, we read As for the word that God sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. I got just part of a sentence. The Apostle John, you will remember tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We as Christians believe that Jesus is the word of God and God sent his incarnate word to preach this good news to Israel. Peter quickly prefigures what that good news is going to be. Number one, there's going to be peace through Jesus Christ and number two, uh, Jesus will be the Lord of all. The good news of the gospel is about the end of the war between us and God. James, who is the brother of Jesus, says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. That's complicated. We can't unpack that here this morning, but I want you to hear it. But before we hear the good news... Each one of us finds ourselves in a state of rebellion against God. We are not born at peace with God. We are, in fact, at war with our creator. Obviously, that's an uneven match. We pick a fight with God, and we're going to surely lose. The gospel is about peace with God through Jesus Christ, who happens to be the Lord or the boss of everything. But let's get down to the historical details. Verse 37 and verse 38 You yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea. Beginning from Galilee, after the baptism, John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Cornelius and his household know about these things. John the baptizer and Jesus were famous. Word about them had spread. Jesus's ministry was very public. It was very popular. He wasn't hiding in a corner somewhere. And the most visible or the most obvious part of Jesus's ministry was his healings. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Physical illness, mental illness, demonic oppression, People who were not necessarily followers of Jesus or admirers of Jesus knew or who had heard that Jesus could fix these problems, and that's why these massive crowds followed Jesus around, and most of the people simply believed that Jesus was able to do these things which regular people could not do because somehow God was with him. And believing that fact didn't necessarily make you a follower of Jesus. It simply was a logical conclusion from the evidence that your eyes could see. Cornelius and his household would have heard about the healings of Jesus and would have assumed that God was with him. In verse 39 through 41, Peter begins to tell Cornelius some of the things that maybe he doesn't already know. of Jesus without the crucifixion and the resurrection. Jesus, the man who performed good deeds and healed people, even Jesus, the man who had God with him, that's actually not the crux of the story. That's not what the gospel is about. Peter, James, and John also performed good deeds and healed people, but they are not the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus and him crucified. Peter makes a point of mentioning to Cornelius that Jesus ate and drank with people after he rose from the dead. Why is that important? Well, because ghosts don't eat. Peter was making it clear that the Jesus they saw was a real man raised from the dead. He wasn't a specter or a wraith or a ghoul or a ghost or a spirit or a phantom. He was a man. He was a resurrected man. He had a body that ingested food. What exactly that means, well, Peter doesn't explain. Peter doesn't explain why Jesus was resurrected or how Jesus was resurrected. He reports what he saw and what he knows. He had known Jesus for three years during his very popular and public ministry of good works and healing. Everybody knew about that, but then he was executed and three days later he rises from the dead and Peter and others ate and drank with him. That's not a philosophy. That's not some moral theory. Peter simply reports the way an uneducated fisherman would report the bare historical facts. He doesn't even explain them. He just says what happened. And then in verse 42, Peter tells some more of what happened. And now Peter really is in the territory that Cornelius would have known nothing about. Yes, Cornelius and the whole country knew about Jesus, the good man, the healer. Some people also knew that Jesus was crucified. But the resurrection was revealed only to a select few. About 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus, not everybody. And then in verse 42, Peter tells Cornelius what the resurrected Jesus told Peter and the other disciples to do. Quote, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Now, that's, that's new information. And it takes us back to the beginning of what Peter was saying, that God sent Jesus to Israel to preach the good news of peace through him, through Jesus. We who are at war with God, we who have ignored the creator of the universe, we who have acted as if the world were somehow magically self-created, we who haven't obeyed the law of God that we've heard, we who have honored and worshiped creation rather than the creator, we do not have peace with God. And I don't just mean peace of mind, though that's part of it, If we have peace with God, we do have peace of mind, but there's something bigger going on here than just some kind of psychological condition. When we are not battling against God, when we are not insisting that there is no God, when we are not claiming that we are gods, when we are not working against the grain of God's plans, when we are not listening to the creation but deaf to the creator, when we stop asserting our will against the will of our maker, when we are no longer at war with God, we discover this expanse of peace. A peace that passes understanding and we find ourselves attuned to the sea of being which surrounds us and sustains us. But now, Peter tells Cornelius that the one through whom we are to have this peace with God is the one who was appointed by God to be the judge. Rut row. We have an innate sense, and I don't believe it's the result of religious education. Because I know a lot of unbelievers who have this sense too. We have an innate sense that there will be justice. If not in this world, then in the world to come. Which is why people spend so much time and energy trying to prove how right they are. Trying to prove their goodness even if no one is asking them about it. We judge ourselves by our own moral tribunal and if we are even halfway honest, we find ourselves falling short. And so we lawyer up and we try to cover misdeeds with good deeds and we try to explain away our failures and we blame our circumstances if we're Jean-Jacques Rousseau. But one of the things the resurrection demonstrates is that there will be justice even if it has to be after the grave. Just because someone is dead doesn't mean they've gotten away with their crime. Adolf Hitler committed suicide because he didn't have the courage to face the judgment that was coming to him. Perhaps he thought he was clever making his suicide escape, but the joke was on him because the moment he closed his eyes in death, he opened them and he was standing before his judge. Part of the urgency of getting right with God is that death does not end our story. The resurrection of Jesus makes it clear that there is life after life, that the soul goes on. We are not extinguished when we die, which makes what we do in this life more serious than if it simply went away after a 100 years. But I think everybody knows down in their bones that there will be an accounting after this life is over. And the battle we are waging with God will find its resolution on the other side of death. God sent Jesus to preach the good news that there can be peace with God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells his disciples to go tell people that he, Jesus, is the one who's been appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. If we want to get right with God, we're going to have to get right with Jesus. Peter goes on in verse 43, to him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness. The prophets bearing witness uh, is probably a bigger deal to the Jews than to the Gentiles, but it is important to note that before Jesus was born and was ministering to people in Judea, God was already talking about him in the Scriptures. If the resurrection wasn't enough to convince us that something extraordinary was going on with this man, then perhaps all of the prophecies pointing to him might give us another clue. And then we have the payoff, still in verse 43, Everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. God sends Jesus to preach the good news of peace through Jesus. God appoints Jesus to be the judge of the living and the, and the dead. And everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of the sins which constitute our war against God. We receive forgiveness of the sins. For which Jesus has all the right to judge and condemn us. And we receive this forgiveness by believing in Jesus. This is a thumbnail gospel that Peter presents to Cornelius, this Roman soldier. We are Just getting an outline of the sermon that Peter preached that day, probably just a few of the key points, but Peter's presentation of the gospel is centered on the cross and on the resurrection, and from beginning to end, it's about Jesus. Jesus, who's the word of God, sent into the world to announce the good news that there can be peace with God. Jesus, who is crucified and raised from the dead with a real body, a body that eats and drinks. Jesus, who is appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All of our warfare with God, all of that comes to the courtroom one day, the courtroom of Jesus. And then the surprising twist, by believing in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Battle's over. There is no judgment. Those who are in Christ have no condemnation and peace reigns. For Cornelius and his household, this good news was received with an open mind and with open hearts and the Holy Spirit fell on those people and they began to speak in tongues. They hadn't been fully instructed in everything that the church teaches, they hadn't worked through a catechism, they hadn't taken, taken a course in theology, but they truly believed and they were truly converted and they truly received the Holy Spirit. And so Peter orders that they be baptized right away. By the way, let me say this on a side note here. Those of you who believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and have not been baptized yet, you need to get baptized. Every example we have in Scripture of someone coming to faith, when they do it, they get baptized. They don't wait to the next day. They, They get baptized then. Okay? You don't have to take a course to be baptized. You just need to believe in Jesus as your Savior. That's a separate side issue. We can talk about that another time. And then after this, Peter then stays with them for a couple more days, you know, teaching them a little bit more. I find it interesting that the conversion of these Gentiles did not require. Years of evangelism and training. All that was needed was a divine appointment and a simple sermon and hearts that were willing to hear. I like this passage in Acts chapter 10 because it provides a thumbnail sketch of the gospel. There are other thumbnail sketches in the Bible. Romans chapter 3 might come to mind. But I like this passage because I often wonder about what it is that brings someone to faith. I've been on both sides of that line in my adult life. There was a time when I was not a believer, a time when I knew what the Bible taught, but I rejected it as a pack of hateful lies. And then there was a time when I became a believer, and I heard the same message that I had heard a thousand times before, and, it, and finally that message struck home, and it made sense to me and it made sense of my universe and the Holy Spirit took up residence inside of me. I often wonder about that. I wonder what it is that moves someone from unbelief to belief. I think about that because I am trained as a philosopher and I wrote a dissertation in epistemology, which is the branch of philosophy that tries to answer the question, how do we know what is true? So I'm curious about it as a philosopher, but I also think about it as a preacher Because one of my primary concerns is helping non-believers become believers. How does it happen? I don't have an answer. What is it that makes someone believe? It remains very mysterious. In my experience, God deals with us very individually. I have heard many of your testimonies through the years of how you became Christians. And everyone's story is different. the same is true of Cornelius. God had a plan for this Roman military officer, and he arranged a divine appointment to get him and Peter together. And Peter, who was just, I don't know, a simple fisherman, gives Cornelius and his household an introductory talk on Jesus, Christianity, one-on-one, and it was enough. And the Holy Spirit came upon them with power, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues, and they were baptized one meeting, and their whole life was turned upside down. It's amazing to me. But it's no less amazing than Jesus rising up from his borrowed tomb. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for uh, these stories of um, Peter and Cornelius. We thank you for saving Cornelius. We thank you for the mercy that you have shown to people from every nation. Thank you that you love us and that you find us and that you send people to us who will say what it is that we need to hear in order to believe and to be at peace with you. Lord, give us this day the faith that we need to have to cling to Christ, the crucified, resurrected Savior. This I pray in his powerful name. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, yeah, okay.